Good morning, Grace Chapel. It's Palm Sunday, and I thought it'd be great to, as we gather together around God's Word, to read some encouraging words, prophecies that came true. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah's prophecy in Zechariah 9.9 came true. Uh, a spring Sunday, uh, nearly 2,000 years ago, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and shouts of praise filled the air. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And this morning, we, I want us to remember, we need to remember that the King of heaven has come to deliver his people from the consequences of our many sins. He came to remove the threat of eternal death to save us from eternal separation from God. He came to conquer sin for the whole world of humanity. And soon he's coming back. He's going to be returning and death and sickness and injustice and tears will be no more, especially for all who come to God in faith through Jesus Christ. Question for you this morning. Are you standing firm in your faith in Christ? Are you standing firm in God's strength today? There's a prayer that hangs on a church wall in a church office, and it says this. Thank you, God, for standing by me so far this day. With your help, I haven't been impatient or grumpy, judgmental. I haven't lost my temper, but I'll be getting out of bed soon, and I really need, will be needing your help even more. <laughs> I'd like to read some scripture today as we think about standing in God's strength and how his grace does uphold those who look to him in faith. I'd like to read from Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 28 and then 1 Samuel 30 and then a passage from Luke chapter 22 about Jesus. Because all three men, Saul and David and Jesus, were in a moment of great distress and they uh, responded differently. Let's read. In uh, 1 Samuel chapter 28, I invite you to follow along in your Bibles as I read beginning at verse 15. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I'm in great distress. For the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I should do. And Samuel said, why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once, full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, and he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And then we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30, the first six verses, reading about David. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. 
And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And then I turn to Luke, turn with me to Luke chapter 22, reading about Jesus in Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Again, let's just take a moment to pray. Lord God, in these times of distress, we're feeling it. Lord, we know that you are with us. Help us to learn from your word today and help us to stand in your strength, the only true strength we have through Christ. And we ask this for your honors and glory of your name. Amen. In our studies in 1 Samuel, God has revealed the difference faith in him or the lack of trust in him makes in a person's life and, and the difference it produces. We don't want to follow the path of King Saul, but we want to follow David's path. And 1 Samuel uh, chapter 30, verse 6 is a great theme verse for us because it says when David was in distress and his own friends were thinking of stoning him, they were so upset and angry. It says that David found strength in the Lord his God. So we want to take a moment because God has put Saul and David's life side by side to help us learn the differences that faith and not believing makes in a person's life. Well, let's look at Saul's failure for a moment. Saul's failure he failed to stand in God's strength. He had no relationship, not a true relationship with his God. We read about that in, in Samuel chapter 28. And when, after Samuel had given God's word again to Saul about his future, that he was going to perish in battle, Saul, it says in verse 20, fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him. Saul's religion was all talk. It was all on the surface. It was all exterior. Saul's actions, he talked God, he talked about Jehovah, but his actions in his life never meshed with his words. We know that Jesus said in the New Testament that if you love me, you will obey my commands. And that's the natural outflow of a life of faith. If you believe God, you will act out in belief and, and follow God and trust his word. But Saul never made that step. Philippians 2, 7, excuse me, Philippians 2, verse 10 in the New Testament says, Every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. And we see that now Saul is bowing, but not in faith and belief, not in worship, but in fear. 
He couldn't stand before his God. He couldn't bow before the Lord. He chose not to. He didn't bow before God's will for David to be king. He wouldn't bow to David. He tried to remove David. And now he's boxed in by his choices of unbelief. It's interesting, but the way the Hebrew's written here, the Hebrew words, uh, you may remember back in chapter 10, the people admired Saul because it says he stood a head taller than everyone. He was a, t a taller man. He, was, he stood out. Well, now the Hebrew words emphasize that the, the length of Saul is now stretched out full, face down on the ground, belly down, stretched out full before God because he is in fear. And that's the posture, the position that everyone will be in if they refuse to humbly bow and believe to Jesus Christ now. Saul was unable to stand before his creator and he was terrified. He was afraid. He was overcome. His life didn't have any hope. All because he had refused to trust in God, to receive God's salvation, God's righteousness, simply by trusting or believing in his God. That's a truth that Samuel, the book of Samuel, keeps repeating for us. Saul didn't believe God. And those who do trust in God, then hear his word and takes action, will be raised up and find the strength they need in life and even when they face death. And those who refuse, who refuse to humbly come before God in faith, they will reap the consequences of those choices, if not in this life, certainly when they face their God. The great Saint Augustine wrote, we count on God's mercy for our past mistakes. Oh, how much we need God's mercy for our many sins, our many poor choices are going astray. He also said, we count not only on God's mercy for our past mistakes, but we count on God's love for our present needs. And oh, how we need God to take care of us, to be merciful. We need his love and his grace to take care of us now. We can ask for it and know that he will hear his children. And oh, how Augustine said, and how we depend on God's sovereignty for our future. We can entrust ourselves in God's mighty hands because he is the sovereign God in control of all that's going on now and in the future. So we look at Saul and then we want to compare him to David. In chapters 29 and 30, the, the text jumps from Saul now and focuses on David for a couple chapters. And in chapter 29, we see that David is standing in God's strength because he had a true faith relationship with God. In chapter 29, we don't have time to read the whole chapter this morning, but I'll, I'll trust that you may look over that. But I want to highlight just a few verses. We see that God is taking care of David. God always takes care of his chosen ones, his children who put their faith in him. But David has kind of wandered off, I believe, God's path for him. And he, he left the promised land. He ran from Saul and he ran to the Philistines to protect him. And David has put himself in a lose-lose situation. The Philistines are going to battle, and Achish, the king of the Philistines, expects David to go to war with him, to be his bodyguard, to be right there in the battle against his own brothers and people, the Israelites. He's not going to be able to get out of this on his own. David is in a fix. His game of deception has worked up to this point, but now he's in trouble. And if he goes to war with the Philistines against the Israelites, it's political suicide for him. He could never become king over Israel if he was on that battlefield fighting against the Israelites. 
But God delivers David from his dilemma. We read in verse 6 that the Philistine leaders did not trust David. But the commanders of the Philistines, it says in verse 4, were angry with him, with Achish. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send that man back that he may return to the place where you assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle. Because he's the one that they sang about. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. So Achish, responding to his generals, his other uh, army leaders, had to let David and, and send him back to Ziklag. So David was being watched over by God and being taken care of. He got out of this difficult situation. If David had gone into that battle, the northern tribes, who many of them were loyal to King Saul, would never have come together under his leadership, his kingship later on when he was king over the Israelites. So we see God's guiding hand on David. Now we pick up in chapter 30 now where we, we read earlier. Now David and his men came back to Ziklag. And we see that David is in distress because their wives have been taken captive. All their, their belongings have been stolen by the Amalekites. Their children had been taken captive as well. The city had been burned. And David and his men were in distress. And the men were in such distress that they were ready to stone David. When Saul was in distress, when God wasn't speaking to him, what did he do? He went to the witch of Endor, trying to seek help from a, from a terrible source, an ungodly source, a forbidden source. David, in his distress, it says, turn to the Lord. In verse 6 we read, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because they were bitter in their souls. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. David took hold of his God. If his faith had been weak for a while or kind of stale or on hold, we see now David in this moment of trouble. His faith comes to the top and he turns to his God. In verse 7 it says, He went to Abiathar the priest and said, Bring the ephod. So Abathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And he, God answered, Pursue him. So David and his men pursued. David heard God's word. He acted. He obeyed, trusting his God. God was, David, excuse me, was answered by God. And God hears those who in faith cry out to him for help. David was seeking God's glory. He had sought to do God's will by not killing Saul, by being faithful as he could. And we see God taking care of David. David treated others with mercy. In verse 11, uh, David and his men found a band of Egy uh, an Egyptian slave who had been left behind because he was sick. And they treated him well. His friends... His soldiers who couldn't go, who were tired, that were left behind and took care of their extra baggage that they didn't want to take into war. He took care of them later on by giving them a share when they, when they found their families and friends, when others didn't want to share that with them because they hadn't been in the battle. David took some of the goods that they recovered and sent them to his friends back in the land of Israel as tokens of peace, as appreciation for how they had taken care of him when Saul had been uh, breathing down David's neck and they went out on a limb for David. David was gracious and merciful. 
He was walking with God and he helped those who trusted in God as well. David was a man of faith. And believing faith has two parts. The first part is a work of God. God has to act. He has to open up my blind eyes to see how ugly and many are the sins that I've committed that offend God's holiness. God the Spirit has to work and enlighten my dull soul to see how great a need I have for a Savior to die in my place for my iniquities. And God the Spirit has to move so that I see my need for forgiveness and cry out to God and to Jesus Christ for salvation. That's a work of God. But there's a second part to faith. I have to act. A true living faith responds in obedience to God's word. He hears his voice. And that's what David did. He strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David went and sought the Lord. David asked for guidance. God answered David. And David obeyed. David, David's active and alive faith pictures for us just what James tells us in the New Testament, that faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So I can rest in Jesus' completed work for me in the cross for my salvation. He has carried away the penalty of eternal death. But then, if I truly believe, I labor for Christ. I follow him. I obey him. I work for him, not because I need to work, but out of gratitude and love for my Savior. He's with me. He died for me, and he walks with me. So David in the Old Testament is just like the Apostle Paul was in the New Testament. Both of those men counted heavily on God to be at work around him. They believed in God. They believed he was alive and at work in their lives. He, they believed that God was working through them and in them. And because they had that assurance that that faith in God gave them, they dared to do bold things and attempt bold things for God. Are you familiar with the Apostles' Creed? Let me just recite part of it. We say in the Apostles' Creed, a creed, I believe in God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into the grave, and the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and from there he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. And the Apostle Creed goes on a little bit more. But let's just take a moment and think, what does it mean if we really believe with full assurance that that's true, without a doubt that we believe that God is the God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and that Jesus Christ is the Savior. What does it mean for me to believe that? How will I live differently because I believe it's true? Well, it means for me, I think, that I need to speak a word for Christ, and I need to say it out loud, dare to say it humbly, and I need to say it well, seasoned, as it were, with salt, with a lot of grace and understanding. But I need to say it out loud. It means living in such a way that I use my money in ways that brings glory to God. It shows that, I'll, that I understand that God gave me money to take care of my family and to help others who are less fortunate, fortunate than me to spread the gospel around the world.
It means I'm going to take time so others can believe and grow in their faith in Christ and become fruitful followers. It means people can hear and see God's love when I believe that God's truly the true God and Savior, that I will, the way I speak and the kindnesses that I do to all people, but especially my sisters and brothers in Christ, wherever our pathways cross, that I will live differently because I believe it's true. You see, David's faith was alive. He did not need to call attention to his faith because a living faith speaks for itself. <clears throat> this is Palm Sunday. Jesus was entering Jeru Jerusalem to do his great work of redemption. And as our King and Savior, <clears throat> he came to conquer sin and death by becoming the perfect sacrifice. The righteous one would be dying for the unrighteous to make a way for us to stand in strength before God without fear. I want to just take a moment on this Palm Sunday to consider what Jesus did for us and his moment of distress. All through Passion Week, it says that Jesus, all the Gospels say it, that he had set his face to go to Jerusalem maybe weeks or months before he would be crucified. And he was not going to turn away from it. <clears throat> in Mark's gospel, Jesus knew what he was getting into. It says in verse 32 of Mark chapter 10, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them that what was going to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. And then a little bit later on in that passage, in verse 45, Jesus says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So in Luke's Gospel in chapter 22, that's where Jesus is. He's coming to that moment when he's going to be offering himself up as that great ransom to pay the price for our sins, and it brought great distress on him. He rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday with shouts of praise all around him. But those shouts would change to hatred, crucify him just a few days later on what we call Good Friday. But what's wonderful about this, in his distress, Jesus did not turn away from the plan that had been made from eternity past before the world was made. In John's gospel, he wrote, or said, excuse me, in John 12, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. This is the great mystery. The eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was fully God, who existed before time, he was always God, humbled himself and became fully human. And taking on a man's body, he experienced life here just the way we experience. He was tempted just as we were. He had to learn to submit to God the Father's will and to entrust himself into God the Father's care. And Jesus did it without sin, fully depending on the God, the Father, who promised him that he would not leave him to decay in the grave. The all-powerful triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working now to keep their promise for us, 
that they will raise us up to life if we entrust ourselves to him, even in our times of distress. <clears throat> Saul was in distress. He was in a terrible situation. He had turned away from God. He had no faith in God. And he fell flat on his face before God in fear without any hope for his future because he had refused to humbly accept God's salvation and hope to live his life for God. David was in distress and his deception had put him in a bind. But David had true faith and he turned to God. He cried out to God and the Lord strengthened his mind, strengthened his body and his heart so that he could do what God called him to do. By faith, David saw God's grace carrying him, and he dared to obey and follow God. David asked for God's help, and the Lord answered. Jesus was in distress. We read in Luke chapter 22 and verses 43 and 44 that he was in such agony that God sent an angel to comfort him, that he was in such distress when he prayed those three times in the garden that he was sweating and the drops of sweat were dripping like it would be like blood flowing out of his veins. He entrusted himself to his father and his father took care of him in a strong, with his strong, sure and mighty hands. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them <clears throat> excuse me, out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. We can turn to God in our distressed situations, whatever that might be at this time, and know that he hears us. He knows this life, the Lord Jesus knows what it's about. He understands it, and he has the power to rescue us. He has the righteousness we need to have forgiveness of sins. He has the power to save us from any sickness or disease if that is his will. Christ has the power to watch over his people who face troubles, who face persecutions, who are fearful. He's done it through the ages and he will continue to do it until he comes again. We will all be able to stand before God, not by our own might, not by any power we have, but by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can stand in God's strength. Have you entrusted your life to Christ Jesus so that you can stand without fear before God? Faith in Christ means you believe he's God and Savior, the one sent to save us. He came to die for our many sins that separate us from God, the God who's holy, who's pure. We've rebelled. We've chosen to go our own way many times, just like King Saul. But do not ignore God's offer. Do not ignore God's word. Jesus died for scrims, the sins. The scripture tells us that. He was raised again from the grave, proving that sin has been defeated, removed, and all who believe in him will live forever. You can have that gift of life even right now. Put your hope in Christ. Tell him your fears. Believe that he can save you from your sins, that you've fallen short of God's holiness and ask for his mercy. Say it out loud, whisper it, speak it in your quietly to yourself in your heart. And God promises to rescue everyone who calls out to him in faith. If you have any questions about that, we ask you to 
contact us at the church office at our email address, grace at gracechapelpa.org, and we'd be happy to answer any questions you have about what it means to believe. Followers of Christ, take heart this morning on this Palm Sunday. The virus, COVID-19, is bringing distress and worry. I'm feeling it in my life. <laughs> How can we not feel it? It brings us un into unsettled times. But if you're in Christ, if you've entrusted your life into his mighty hands, then you have a living hope that can never be taken away. Jesus came to conquer sin and death, and he has. He's victorious. My wife Leslie came upon an old favorite song of ours online this week, and I'd just like to share it with you. It was written 30 years ago by a group, a Christian group named GLAD. And I hope the words give you a lot of strength and hope. Maybe you are familiar with the, strong, with the song. It reminds me of the power of our great God and Savior. In these days of confused situations, in this night of restless remorse, when the heart and the soul of a nation lay wounded and cold as a corpse, oh, be ye glad, oh, be ye glad. Every debt that you ever had has been paid up in full by the grace of the Lord. Oh, be ye glad. From the grave of the innocent Adam comes a song bringing joy to the sad. Oh, your cry has been heard and the ransom has been paid up in full. Be ye glad. So be like lights on the rim of the water, giving hope in a storm sea of night. Be a refuge amidst the slaughter of these fugitives in their flight. For you are timeless and part of a puzzle. You are winsome and young as a lad. And there is no disease or no struggle that can pull you from God. Be ye glad. Oh, be ye glad. Oh, be ye glad. Every debt that you ever had has been paid up in full by the grace of the Lord. Be ye glad. Be ye glad. Be ye glad. Let's pray. Lord God, we cannot stand in our own strength. So we look to you. And we know that you promise and you have through the ages to all your people who cry out to you in faith. You will take care of us. You can, no one can snatch us out of your mighty and strong hands. You came to save, not to condemn us. Oh Lord, stir our hearts to believe in you and to trust in you even more. Give us faith to walk with you, knowing that our hand in your hands, that nothing can touch us that's not in your plan or your will for us, so we have nothing to fear when we stand with you. Lord Jesus, we pray this in your wonderful and mighty and powerful name because we know you will answer those who reach out to you in faith. Give us that hope, even as David prayed, even as the Lord Jesus, we know, is our example to follow. We can trust in him forever, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.